I want to welcome all our online people. Hey, guys, what's up? We miss you, but you look great. Uh, we're in the book of John. Isn't that the best when you can speak that? Just speaking truth over you. I don't care if you're in your pajamas. You look fabulous. Um, so anyways, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to those who are joining online. Uh, every week we do offering. It just helps support the ministry. So if you'd like to give something, uh, you can put it in the little envelope that your leader will have, but there's no pressure. Uh, this is a free ministry that we offer. So we're just glad that you're a part of it. And the last announcement today that I'm always so excited about, women's conference is coming up. Woohoo! I love women's conference. It's a chance for us as a community to gather to be together, to worship, to praise. And I will say this, every time I'm at conference, a gathering, there is power in numbers. There's something powerful about seeing 600 women gathered in the name of Jesus, declaring his praise and asking him to unleash the power of his Holy Spirit in us. And so if you've never been, I want to invite you. If you've been a thousand times, I want to invite you. Uh, everybody's welcome, friends, families, neighbors. Uh, it's open to everybody. So March uh, 24th and 25th, sign up for that if you haven't already. And then last but not least, uh, we do have a walking prayer group every week, 12 o'clock across the street. If you want to pray uh, with a community of people, Tanya and our intern Judith lead that. It's about a 45 minute. It's not a strenuous walk. It's just time to pray and bless our community. So um, I'm super excited. Uh, one of my dear, dear, dear friends is our guest teacher today. Uh, some of you will know her. Her name is Elizabeth Ciccone. Woohoo! <laughs> Uh, we call Elizabeth our honorary staff member. Elizabeth has helped. Anything that we do in women's ministry has some form of an Elizabeth touch. She helps run our retreats, our conferences, our gatherings. She does lyrics for Bible study. She's led Bible study tables. You name it, Elizabeth has probably done it. And so she's been part of our team for a long time, and she works with our kids' church staff. I'm going to let her introduce herself, uh, but it's an honor that we get to hear her teach today. So I'm going to have her come up, and we're going to pray for her. So give it up for Elizabeth. Let's pray. Would you just extend a hand to bless her today? Uh, Lord Jesus, I love this woman, God. You've created Elizabeth in your image. And Father, you have, you have made her a teacher. God, that's part of who she is. It's part of her essence. It's part of her gifting, Lord. And so we just thank you that we get to hear your word taught through Elizabeth today, God. So we pray the Holy Spirit would be upon her, Lord. We pray that you'd be so near to her, Father. And we pray that we would have a sensitivity, Lord. What are you trying to speak to us today? Would we hear it? Would we see it? Would we feel it? God, would we know you more uh, just through reading your word? So I bless Elizabeth today. We thank you for who she is. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. 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 Well, thank you, Coley, and thank you, ladies. Put the backup mic over there just in case. Well, you guys, like Coley said, I have been a part of CA for a very long time. I am 30 years old, but I have been at CA for 28 years. So in a large way, CA has raised me. There are women in this room, and I'm sure listening online, who have been part of my own personal faith journey and helped develop me as a leader, as a teacher, as a follower of Christ. And so I am just so excited for this privilege of being able to teach uh, everyone today. I love women's Bible study, like Coley mentioned. I have led, I've been a participant. It's so amazing what happens when we come together and we read God's word together. You ladies know that there's something powerful about reading God's word for your own life and your own application, but doing that in community with others where we can share and hear from one another is so much more impactful. So I love Bible study, I love worshiping together and hearing from God's word. 
Like Holy mentioned, I'm on Kids Church staff, so I have worked with Littles for about 10 years now, and I started volunteering in Kids Church when I was 12, so I've been a part of Kids Church for more than half of my life. I right now teach two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds and five-year-olds, so just know that there is no interruption that you can make that will distract me. I'm so excited. No one's going to need to ask me to take them to the bathroom or throw wood chips at me or need me to like give them a snack. It's amazing. But if you need to use the bathroom, it's over there. Um, I, like I said, I've been at CA for my whole life and I have been in Los Angeles for my whole life, which makes me an avid Dodgers fan. So if you see me from April to October, because it's the longest season known to sports history, I will be watching a Dodger game or know the score or know what happens. So if you see me, feel free to ask. If you have great tickets, feel free to invite me to a game. I'd definitely say yes to that. I love coffee. People sometimes ask, you know, it's Valentine's Day coming up. What would you want? What kind of flowers do you want? No flowers, just coffee. <laughs> and I love reading. I... Thank you. I love reading and I am competitive. So when I say I love reading, it means that I want to read more books this year than I read last year. I want to read more books than my roommate, than my friends that are in the book club, which they read a lot. Like we're in the hundreds, ladies. They read a lot. But I love reading because as you read stories, you enter into this place that you could never go on your own, right? You get to experience things through characters and through plot development that you would never have the chance to even imagine sometimes. And you get to experience things that just are outside of your life. And I love the way that John writes his gospel because it's similar. It invites you into the story. You get to imagine that you are traveling through Israel with the disciples and with Jesus. You're experiencing the miracles that Jesus is performing. You're experiencing things that are incredible and life-changing through the reading of John and his gospel. And even the study tool for this week, the gospel contemplation, invited us into a place where we got to pause and close our eyes and imagine what are we experiencing? What are we hearing? What are we feeling? What are we tasting or smelling? And we get to experience what they experienced. I'm excited for us to dive into God's word together. So I wanna pray and then we're gonna jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every single lady that's here, every single lady that's watching online or in satellite groups. God, we love you. We love your word. We love the way that it is living and active and it so applies to our life now just as much as it impacted the people who experienced it back then. God, I pray that through the words I teach that your word and who you are would be proclaimed, God. I pray that someone would come to know you more and experience you more today because of the words that we are about to hear. God, we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm a reader, which means I'm a studier, which means that I read John 12 about 17,000 times in preparation for this. And I was reading and reading and reading, and one morning I woke up and I had this book on my mind. I was like, okay, God, is that you? Is that just me? It's a children's book. Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do you see? And I was a little confused at first. I was like, okay, I know my colors, but okay. And Brown Bear, Brown Bear opens and it says, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do you see? And the brown bear sees the red bird. 
and the red bird, red bird, what do you see? The red bird sees the green frog and the purple cat. And you go through a whole list of animals and you get to the very end of the book and the teacher asks the children, 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 what do you see? And the perspective changes. The children don't just see one thing anymore, but they see the big picture of the brown bear, the red bird, the green frog, the purple cat, and so on. And as I was reading through John, it made me think of this book. What do we see as we read John 12? Who are the people that we see? What do they see? And also, do you see any of yourself in the people that we see in John 12? And so three different people or groups of people stood out to me, and that's what I'm gonna kind of walk us through this morning. We're gonna look at Mary, we're gonna look at the crowd that welcomes Jesus, and we're gonna look at the Pharisees. And our reading is gonna lead us to Jesus, and we're gonna see things from his perspective, and we're gonna also look at what he sees. So we're gonna jump in and start reading in verse one, and it'll appear on the screens as well. It says, six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner there for him. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. So this first person, Mary. What does Mary see? Mary knows Jesus. She's friends with him. She's the woman who sat at Jesus' feet, eager to hear him teach, ignoring her sister. She sees Jesus as someone worthy of her love and her worship. She anoints him with this expensive oil and wipes his feet with her hair, something that women in that culture didn't really do of letting their hair down in public. And this expensive oil is also on trend with the culture back then because lots of money would be poured into burials and preparing people's bodies to go to burial. Mary is lavishly pouring out this perfume on Jesus and she's doing so as an act of love and worship to Jesus. She's doing it in public, showing how much she loves him. And while others ridicule her, Jesus says, leave her alone. We don't know exactly how much Mary understood about what was about to happen to Jesus, but Jesus obviously knew. And so he sees his anointing as a preparation for his burial. And how can we see ourselves in Mary? She's a worshiper. She's pouring out with her whole heart, her love and adoration on Jesus. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're in a season where life is good and so you're worshiping and pouring out your heart to him. Or maybe you're in a hard season and still your response is to worship and that's incredible. Mary is the one who sits and prioritizes being at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach. And I wish I saw a little bit more of myself in Mary. I wish my first response in everything was to worship God. Because worship is not just the words we sing or the prayers that we pray, it's a whole 
all-encompassing heart posture that says, God, everything I do from the moment I wake up to the time I go to bed is to love and honor you. And if that's you, if that's you in this season, I just wanna say God loves your worship. He's so thankful for your worship. And those around you, the people in your life, they need your worship too. They need to see you worshiping God with your whole life in good seasons and in bad because it's compelling, it's inspiring, and your worship could be the thing that draws someone else closer to God. So keep on worshiping with everything you have, just like Mary did. Let's continue to read in John 12, 9. It says, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So people are gathering. We know in verse one, they're coming for Passover. And so I just want to explain that really fast before we move on to the rest of John 12. Passover goes back to Exodus. It's a time where God's people were enslaved and oppressed in Egypt. And God told them to sacrifice a lamb and use the blood of the lamb to paint on their doorposts as a sign that the Lord would pass over their houses as he sent a plague through Egypt. So this was a feast and a celebration that the Jewish people celebrated every year. They were commanded, keep this as a statute forever. So it's a very important feast and they continue to honor it to this day. And people are gathering from all over the place and they're coming to Jerusalem. And I think I had a picture in my mind of maybe like a couple hundred people. But as I was reading, it's like somewhere maybe between 100,000 and 200,000 people or maybe even more. That's a lot of people. It's bigger than the Super Bowl that's going to be happening this weekend, right? Only 75,000 people are going to show up in Arizona to watch the game. And obviously millions more will be watching online, but 100,000 people to 200,000 people is a lot of people for that time or this time. And the people that are coming to Jerusalem, they're coming with expectations. Just like some of you who might be going to the Super Bowl party this weekend. You might be going or not going because of the food, because of the halftime show, because of the commercials, because you actually are the one person in your life that cares about football. <laughs> Maybe you've been invited by a friend and you don't care anything about football, but you love that friend and so you're expecting to just spend time with them. Or maybe this is the first time you're hearing that the Super Bowl is this Sunday and you are so excited that you can go to the store with no one there in the lines to go do your shopping. I think the game starts around 3.30 if that's you. <laughs> and just like we show up to Super Bowl parties with expectations, right? It's a silly comparison, but people are coming to Jerusalem and they're bringing expectations with them as well. Some of them are there because they're Jewish and they're celebrating Passover like they know they're supposed to. Some of them have been traveling with Jesus or they've heard Jesus performing signs and miracles and wonders and they're curious and they're saying, yeah, I think I believe in this guy that I've been hearing about and seeing about. So they're coming because they hear he's gonna be there. Some people are believing that God sent Jesus and that Jesus maybe is this Messiah, the son of God that's promised. The crowd is filled with people and they have expectations. And some of them, they recognize their need for a savior. And so I wanna ask ladies, do you see any of yourself in the crowd? 
some of you ladies might be in a hard season. It's your marriage or your kids or your parents or your job or your school or so many other things and you came here today weary. Maybe you didn't even want to show up, but you did. And I'm glad that you did because I'm, I just believe that someone here needs to hear that as the crowd was gathering with the hope and expectation that maybe they would meet their rescuer, you too need that same hope in a rescuer in your life right now in this season. So we're going to move on and talk and read in John 12, 12. Continuing with the crowd, it says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now the story of the triumphal entry, which is taught almost every year on Palm Sunday in some way, shape, or form, is one that I have taught before to four-year-olds. <laughs> and one year, I taught it, and I asked the kids, I said, all right, you guys, who knows what animal Jesus rode into Jerusalem? They were very confident and very wrong. <laughs> Their hands pop all, up all over the room, and one says a camel, one says a pig, I heard a horse, a lion, one said a reindeer. <laughs> Wrong holiday. <laughs> One said a bunny. Right holiday, but wrong animal. One of them, thankfully, said a donkey. Thank you to whoever's kid that was. And then there's my personal favorite. Little boy so confidently in the very front row raised his hand and I said, yeah, what animal? And in all seriousness, he said, a robotic tiger that shoots lasers. <laughs> I'm never gonna forget that. And you know what, Easter might be a different story if Jesus had ridden a robotic tiger shooting lasers into Jerusalem. I love that for this little boy with absolute confidence, he expected that Jesus could ride into Jerusalem on a robotic tiger. And it's funny to us, right, because we know that that's never gonna happen. But what is true is that people didn't know what to expect in Jesus. Throughout the Old Testament, God is speaking to his people through prophets and making them promises that one day the Savior is going to come. And this king, his kingdom will never end. And so people are starting to build a picture in their mind of what they think this Savior is going to be like. Some expect a mighty warrior. Some expect a political ruler. They have this picture in their mind. Right, when I say the word warrior, we might think, oh, clad in full armor and riding a horse triumphantly into the city, they're gonna overthrow the government, right? But Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, lowly, humble, coming to bring peace, coming to end war. Jesus rarely did what people expected him to do. And the crowd's response to Jesus is that people are waving palm branches. This is a national symbol and they're saying, yes, this is our liberator. They think finally our savior has come. They shout the words Hosanna, meaning save us now. Give us salvation. They see a rescuer, many of them. They think that's someone who can save me from the Roman rule that we're under. When they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel, they're saying, we see you, this man riding on a donkey, 
and we believe that you are exactly who you say you are. They're not just making some generic blanket statement of God's blessings on you and God's blessings on you. They're saying, no, you, you are the king. You're who we're waiting for. We believe you are who you say you are. Thank you for coming at last. Save us now. And also in the crowd, we see some Greeks. And this indicates that Jesus' influence is starting to spread beyond just the Jewish community. Because Jesus didn't come to save just a specific group of people. He came to save the world. And so his influence and his spread is expanding. And then it comes to the third group that we see, the Pharisees. And the way John tells it, they're kind of lurking on the outside. They're not super prominent in this story, but we know from reading it in other gospels that the Pharisees are there. In Luke, we read that the Pharisees tell Jesus to rebuke those who shout out their blessings, and Jesus says, oh, if I do that, the rocks will cry out. There's no rebuking in this crowd. And oh, these religious leaders, right? They're so focused on the fact that Jesus is claiming to be the son of God that they've missed him. Their knowledge and understanding of the law is so small that they don't seem to have room for a savior that can look like Jesus. If they were to admit that Jesus could be the son of God, that would challenge their position and their standing in community, something they were not willing to face. They've seen the signs and the miracles that Jesus has been performing and each one compels them to seek to kill him more. They saw Jesus as a problem because he was converting people from a belief in these religious practices to a genuine belief and trust in Jesus. And I think this one's hard, but I think that there's some of us that can see a little bit of ourselves in the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees didn't see Jesus as a savior. And because they didn't see him as a savior, they couldn't recognize that they too needed saving. And the confession for this morning is that I see a lot of myself in the Pharisees. I have this tendency to think that I can fix myself. I can save myself. I think if I ask for help, I'll be disappointed. I think I can't rely on others. I can't trust others. And that the only person I can rely on is me. And you know what? I've let myself down a lot. God never has, but I've let myself down a lot. And it's created this mindset in me that praises my own independence and minimizes my dependence on God. And I've realized that no matter how great I think I am, God is so much greater. And I am utterly dependent on him. There's nothing that I can do by my own oomph, for lack of a better word, that it will ever come close to what God can do in my life. Upon reflection, it's why I think in times where I have felt far from God, it's not because he wasn't there, but it's because I was so focused on trying to fight my life for myself that I forgot to recognize that he was right there. Patiently and graciously waiting for me to surrender more of myself to him. And if you're like me and you see yourself with some Pharisee tendencies, I want this story to compel you to surrender more of yourself to Jesus. Just because you've relied on yourself in the past does not mean that you have to continue to rely on yourself in the future. 
Let right now be the starting point where you decide to surrender more of yourself to God. Or hey, surrender your whole self to God. He can handle that. And maybe there's someone here listening, here in this room or online, and you're having a hard time admitting that maybe Jesus could be your savior. Maybe you've had this picture in your head of who Jesus was, and as you're reading through John, you're realizing that maybe your expectation was a little off. You've expected Jesus to be one thing, and he's actually so much more than that. And if that's you, I want you to hear that God is patient. He understands your doubt, your conflict, your wrestling. He sees you. He knows what you've believed about him, and he loves you still. And we're going to continue reading in John verse 27. It says, Now is my soul troubled. This is Jesus speaking. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So what do we see as we look at Jesus? Right off the bat, we see he's troubled. Not just confused, not just having a hard time, he's troubled. It's a human feeling. I think there's some of us in this room that we've felt that before. We felt troubled. There's something in our spirit that's not right. Jesus' humanity is asking, God, is there another way? Can you do this another way? But Jesus, the Son of God, is saying, but I know this is my purpose. I know that my whole life and all the things I've done have been leading to this moment. He says, not me, God, you. This path is going to lead to my death, but it leads to your glory. And looking at the crowd, he goes, it leads to their life. All the things he did, all the signs and miracles we read in John and the other gospels, Jesus' entire life brought glory to God and he would do it again. And God answers with this audible voice from heaven, essentially saying yes and amen. Yes, Jesus, I will glorify it again. Jesus knows what his purpose is. And he did it willingly. Let's continue to read in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the final passage in John 12. And as we look at Jesus, there's an invitation for us to see God. Jesus says, believe in me and believe in the Father. 
Jesus says, I came to show that I'm the son of God. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus says, I am the light, believe in me so you don't walk in darkness. He says, I've given you another option. You don't have to choose darkness. I am the light, believe in me. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge you, I came to save you. Jesus would do in love what no one expected him to do and that act brought glory to God his Father. John three sixteen and 17 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have, will have eternal life. For I did not send my son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I memorized that verse back in elementary school and I'm so thankful that the person who asked me to memorize it had me memorize both of those verses, right? God loves us. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have eternal life and he didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus came to save the world out of his incredible love for us. And when I teach my four and five-year-olds about how much God loves them, they're very visual. So I ask them, I say, stretch your hands out as far as you can to the left and right. And as they're doing that, I say, you guys, it's so much more than that. And I say this a lot, so they're trying to trick me into thinking a different answer. So they say, but what if we put all of our hands together? Is God's love bigger than that? And I say, yeah. They look up at the ceiling and they say, is God's love bigger than that? I said, yeah. They make up whatever weird, crazy number they can think of, like a bajillion, zillion, million, trillion. I don't even know if that exists. But I say, yes, God's love for you is bigger than that. And I say, it's not just God's love for all of you. It's God's love for you specifically. And sometimes I even go around the room and I say, God loves you, Chris. God's love, God loves you, Jonah. And I go through the whole room so that each child knows that God's love is for them personally. And it's easier for them to accept that, right? They're four and five. They haven't lived as much life as we have. Because I think it's harder for us to accept that God's love is bigger than this. We say, yeah, God, but I've done this. But I've made that choice. You don't know what I've done in the past, but I've, but I've, but I've. Ladies, but God. God's love for you is so much bigger than whatever justification you could have for why he could never love you as much as he does. Romans 5, 8 says, but God, while we were still sinners, sent Christ to die for us. That's just the kind of God he is. While you were doubting, while you were running, while you were wrestling, while you were hiding, God demonstrated his love for you by sending Jesus. God is so powerful and so mighty that throughout the Bible we're told that people couldn't even gaze upon his face because it would be too much for them. But when we see Jesus, we see God. I love the way the Passion Translation writes John 1:18, and as its name suggests, it paints a very passionate and vivid picture of the relationship between God the Father and Jesus the Son. It says, no one ever before gazed upon the full splendor of God except his uniquely beloved Son, who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now that he has come to us, he has unfolded the full explanation of who God truly is. See, Jesus is God and he has revealed and explained God to humanity. 
Jesus allows us to see God in a way that our brokenness and our humanity can handle because God wants us to see him. And like in the book, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, when the perspective changes, God sees it all, ladies. God sees those of you who have a merry heart and you're worshiping. He sees each of you who's in a season of pouring your whole life and existence into worshiping and praising God. He sees each person making up the crowd. He sees each of those people who are calling Jesus Savior. And he sees each of you who recognize that you need a Savior too. He sees those of you who, like the Pharisees, are having a hard time admitting you need a Savior. Or maybe you're not even that point. Maybe you're saying, he's not even the Savior, but he sees you too. He sees those of you that are wrestling in your faith, who are doubting, who are running, He sees those of you who have walked with God your whole life. He sees you. He sees those of you who think there's some place that you can run and hide and God will never find you. He sees you there. He sees each of you right now in this season where you're at. And he doesn't just see you, he loves you. You are a beloved daughter worthy of love, incredibly dear to him. You are his precious child and he says, I love you more than this. And he can't imagine his life without you. And ladies, I pray that wherever you've seen a little bit of yourself in this story, whether it's in Mary or the crowd or the Pharisees, that you would leave today encouraged because God thought of you when he sent Jesus. It was his great love for you I wish I could go around and name every woman here, but we don't have the time. But God loves you so much that it compelled him to send his son Jesus to the earth. And when we believe that Jesus is the son of God and we put our hope and our faith and trust in him, then that means we put our hope and our faith and trust in the one who sent him, God the Father. Ladies, will you pray with me? God, it says in your word, in John 20, 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. God, we know John wrote his gospel to provoke our faith in Jesus, and faith in Jesus leads to eternal life. I pray that if you believe in God, that reading through John would strengthen your faith, and that as your faith is strengthened, you would turn and look to those around you, maybe a neighbor, a coworker, a child, a parent, a family member, and help them in their faith. God uses people like you to do his work on this earth. He wants to speak through you. I pray that you would be women who boldly proclaim Jesus as your savior and you would invite others to believe in him as well. I pray that if you're here today and you don't yet believe God, that you'd continue to join us as we read through John and that you would do so with an open heart, asking God, what might you say to me? I pray that you would read what is written in John of Jesus and that you would believe and that through believing you would have life eternal with God. God's deepest desire, ladies, is for every single one of us to come to know him and experience his love. So I pray that through the reading of his word and the hearing of testimonies and stories at our tables, that your desire for God would grow. I pray that all of us 
our lives would be different because we've known the Father and we've known his love and we choose to be a reflection of that in our lives. I pray that the people in your lives would see you and they would see Jesus and they would see God and they'd come to know him more. Don't take for granted the fact that God wants to use you to show his love and kindness and compassion and comfort to others. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.